You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. We're in the middle of our impeachment proceedings, and I am going to get John Favreau removed from office. Oh God, I cannot wait to testify. Let's, we will all testify. <laughs> I just met him. I'll testify. <laughs> oh yeah, you're ready. Yeah, I'll figure mm-hmm. something out. I feel like you guys have already given me enough. What was your impression? Um, cold, snarky. No, he was very sweet to me. Please know he tried to murder me. Oh, yes, with his car. Yes, but... Vehicular man. It was very obvious, if you ask me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, over it? Yeah. What, what were your thoughts on all three of them? Honestly, they were all very warm and receptive. Okay. Yeah. On the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're unspooky, I do have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike the actual impeachment hearings, which are currently going on, and... Week two, Do maybe. they have enough pizzazz? Oh, is, yeah. Is, is that what we should be worrying about? I have to say, watching this stuff, I was just watching today uh, Vinland and uh, uh, Jennifer Williams, uh, Pence's aide, testifying. Mm-hmm. It is a strange situation where this situation is so unusual and so nervous-making and so annoying and so extreme and ongoing that you almost have to process it as entertainment in order to survive the absurdity of it. That sounds so basic to say in a... In, in, in a Twitter-based universe. But God, it, just when you're sitting there, all I can think without, you know, having a nervous breakdown is, God, she looks like Tony Collette, and God, the guy questioning her looks like Ray Fiennes. Anyway, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a way of expressing desperation and getting through the morning. I could see Tony Collette playing that role. Mm-hmm. She, by the way, is fantastic in Knives Out. Oh, what you saw. Mm. Yeah. I'm terribly jealous. She's great. She's great. And I know you were worried about her being re- miscast as sort of like a dit, a dit, but I think that's only because you have not seen Muriel's wedding. I can't believe you would out me like that. I, you're right; I haven't seen it. I'm, I'm a late comer to I'm exposing you. I can't believe you would do this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a John Favreau based investigation. I'm not on trial. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's on trial. No, I think that the one positive outcome of this has just been me wanting to learn more about impeachment. Our friend Nico got me the book The Impeachers by Deborah White Apple. I've been reading up on Andrew Johnson's. Uh, the original in, Impeachy. Right. That one. I don't know. You know, I've just been like trying to do that. I've been looking at old clips of Nixon's impeachment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it seems like they've always been sort of riveting in the sense that this is the most important thing you can do in American government, right? Wasn't yeah. like Ben Franklin was like, the only way you get rid of a president is impeachment or assassination. <laughs> so. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, Frightening. It just, it, it just seems huge, but it's also being played like everything else has been played in media, in politics, you know, because it's like, of course, Fox News is treating this like a goofy spectacle. 
Yeah. And every day jumping through hoops to defend anything. What was it? Like one of the hosts on Fox News was like, life on earth is bribery. <laughs> <laughs> what do these things mean? Yeah, right, right. Uh, and they're talking about like how people look. They're like, oh, these two look like a couple of homeless guys. Like on Fox and Friends talking about. Yeah, it's like base comments instead of anything of substance. There's no substance being added whatsoever, uh, at least on that side, which is why it gets more frustrating when people like NBC News are like, it's not flashy enough. Uh, How about you just focus on the fact that this is happening? Right. And also, I care about 10% about what they're saying. It's like, I, I wish I could get the distilled, like, Podcast 1.25 speed version of what's going on. Uh, well, Brian Boitler, our very own, has a podcast called Rubicon, which comes out every Friday and talks about the week's impeachment. I can't wait to listen after this week because, what, we have like five people? Well, two this morning, right? Mm-hmm. Three more? Yeah. And people are watching this thing, too. It's like there's been a total of 13.1 million viewers across all the networks of the proceedings and so it's the new mash the new laverne and shirley god remember when tv used to have actual ratings with like large numbers in front of it it's so strange to read it now it's just a completely different universe yeah of course you're like oh this got 1.3 million you're a sensation yeah yeah Yeah. whereas if you didn't have 30 million viewers in your first week you were gone right no i mean if you looked at the ratings on a show a failed show like Joni loves chachi and looked at any tv show right now you'd be blown away Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Well, I guess the thing to really just focus on is that we should continue to pay attention in a smart way. Um, And also just, I guess, have fun making fun of everything Fox News is reporting on it. Yes, I would also say do it in moderation and contribute it meaningfully. Yes, yes. Uh, It has been helpful that I have so many things like the Roger Stone stuff, the Mueller investigation, and also... Oscar movies coming out, and also we're paying attention to a 2020 race. Um, there's a lot, so I feel like I would be going insane if I were sitting down watching these every day, every minute. Right. Well, I mean, I think you. It's not that you think you would. You. You. It's not nourishing. So don't make sure you take time out. Yeah. All right. We have a very exciting episode today. JoJo is here, and I'm not talking about the rabbit. Jojo Rabbit was unavail. Yeah, Yeah, very unavail. But Jojo, the fantastic R&B singer, is here. And we will have a conversation with her. We're also going to talk about Survivor, the show that's been on for 700 years. And Lewis and I still watch it. That's right. Uh, You watch it more frequently than I do. But it does star Rock and Roll Jeopardy host Jeff Probst. So I'm always in his corner from his VH1 days. (laughs) And then we're going to talk about Disney Plus and disclaimers on old entertainment. LOL already. We'll be right back. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. 
With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Me Too has hit the island. It a, it's not cute. No, it was a three-hour tour, and <laughs> Gilligan is getting what's coming to him. All right, well, finally. Uh, no, last week, multiple female Survivor contestants accused their fellow cast member, Dan Spilo, a Hollywood talent manager, of touching them inappropriately throughout the competition. Over the course of the two-hour episode last Wednesday, because it was a two-part episode, the women reported several instances of unwanted contact initiated by Dan, accusations that were supported by video evidence from the show. This led to a series of controversial events, eventually forcing producers to appear on screen with a statement. And let's just say this was one of the most uncomfortable episodes of Survivor I've ever watched. Yeah, totally. I felt gross after watching it. And this is coming from someone who has seen a shit ton of like racism and otherwise abuse on Big Brother. Right. No. The discomfort I'm comfortable or that I'm used to on Big Brother is shocking. When I when I mm-hmm. think about how rare this is for Survivor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I mean they're both on CBS, but I feel like 
Big Brother is always has like half of the house is racist <laughs> white people um, or like fratty bro men who just sort of treat the women horribly um, and have like a pecking order of men who they respect in the show. And Survivor has sort of never been that because Survivor really is a show more about the gameplay. I mean, sometimes things mix in where like racial and gender dynamics affect the game because it is real life. But for the most part, if you're good at Survivor, you're good at Survivor. Well, it, Survivor strips it down quite literally. To, everyone has to be vulnerable and everyone is kind of reset to this thing. There's still so many implied like capitalist things in Big Brother that that structure is still there. I think the racism and the misogyny is all so prevalent. But yeah, I mean, you can't really be that way on an island when you're wearing rags with other people. Like, There's something about also Big Brother. It must be in the casting, but the approach to playing that game is like... It's a party game that goes on all summer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like you hang around the house all day. It's rocket. Yeah. yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. You're you're entertaining yourselves basically. Whereas Survivor always has the vibe of uh, has a militarized feel mm-hmm. in the way that people are driven to betray other people and remain loyal, sometimes schizophrenically. Like it's much more dynamic the gameplay. It's also, I feel, shorter. Oh, right. That's definitely days. a big part of it. Yeah. It's 39 days, and the competitions are much more intense, and the lack of food and the conditions you're surviving Hunting under. Hunting for idols. Yeah. yeah. It's not. You know, it's pe- you're constantly playing the game in Survivor, whereas Big Brother, if you're just comfortable, you're just really just chilling in the house. Right. There are rarely showmances and relationships on Survivor, whereas yeah. on Big Brother, people are always just fucking each other. Right. Also, on Big Brother, you actually have the opportunity to feel more comfortable more of the time since it's one person nominating two people for eviction mm-hmm. as opposed to on Survivor where it's a free-for-all every week. Yeah. yeah. If Big Brother, you could vote for anybody each week, it would be a much more intense game, right. I feel like. I feel like that is still in the show's future. Like, they gotta... I mean, I like the head of household structuring, but it also ends up making the show feel really predictable from week to week sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say that this episode started out with um, a player named Kelly uh, and Missy, and they had a conversation on the beach where they talked about how Dan had been touching them inappropriately. And this had been unspooling all season. I bet you had seen people have comments about Dan, and then it really sort of came to a head this week. Um, they described him like non-consensually touching like their rib cage, like their toes, like their hair, just like when they're interacting. Missy said he tried to put his arms around her as she fell asleep one night, and we actually saw all of this corroborating footage right. of this happening. And then in a one-on-one conversation with a producer, Kim is talking about it, and she's really sort of like on the verge of tears mm-hmm. here, um, talking about how you know it's not just one person; it's a pattern, and the way she's feeling about it is real. It's not in her head, and you know the producer says if there are issues to the point where things need to happen, come to me, and I will make sure that stops because I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. And which felt self-serving to me. It, it did feel self-serving, especially that the producers response is included in the episode, right? It it seems so much like CBS 
just putting that out there so they have some sort of deniability with like, oh, we did the right thing. Right. Here's you a know. VO of someone sounding responsible. Even though asking a contestant, just say the word and we'll do something. Like, why would it be up to the contestant? That's also, the word has right. already been said. What yeah. more do you need me to say? Get yeah. him out. That it's shouldn't, very weird. The onus shouldn't be on her to get this man removed. That should already have happened. Right. And then they follow it up by having a conversation with each of the players the next morning. Uh, they they use a title card to say that they talked to everyone about it, and obviously half of the island doesn't know what this is about, you know, because she hasn't voiced it to everyone. She's voiced it to only a few women. Uh, one woman they talked to was Janet, who is an older player, and she had a good relationship with Dan. But after they told her all this stuff about Dan, she was like, "Okay, fuck it, we can like vote Dan out." and solve this and you know for everyone's well-being unfortunately what happened is everyone voted out kelly the girl who had the um accusations against dan right yes because in some part gameplay uh because i will say that unfortunately for kelly she wanted to get Missy out, who's like um, a very strong female player, like this black girl who was, she. they were first talking about the Dan stuff and they were on each other's side. Unfortunately, before the Dan stuff happened, Kelly had been talking about how she wanted to get Missy out. Mm-hmm. And so Missy was then later told that Kelly's only being your friend because she's planning to get you out. Um, and then Missy changed the game and they all voted out Kelly, which happens on Survivor, right. you know? And so it's like, it's, it's really hard in this situation because it's like, you're thinking about the situation that's happening with Dan, but then you're also thinking, is she only bonding with me on this because she wants to blindside me and kick me out of this game? No, it, these are strange allegations to layer on top of a game of paranoia. Yes. You know, you mm-hmm. already have layers of suspicion about everybody and why they're interacting with you and why they want to befriend you. And so when a wrench is thrown into play like this, it just feels a little bit like another note of paranoia to consider in a way I'm sure you know I I could not handle being on Survivor it really creeps me out thinking of being stuck in an environment like that I think it's a recipe for disaster the situation that these women were in because the burden will always fall on the woman who receives the Me Too story or the story of the Mm -hmm. assault to start moving differently to start acting differently around the man to maybe even enact the next step Mm -hmm. if the other woman's not comfortable so again at the end of the day this is a, a game about strategy and gameplay, and unfortunately this happened to coincide with a very serious allegation and a bunch of accounts of touching and inappropriate behavior, but at the end of the day, I mean, what was she supposed to do? Right, and then she gets voted out, and the worst part of the episode actually is the second episode, because at that point, Janet is confused, why did we vote out Kelly and not Dan, and the other women then said, oh, we had never had a plan to get Dan out. We never really felt uncomfortable around him. This was all gameplay. And basically makes Janet look like she has cooked up this conspiracy to get rid of Dan herself. And watching that tribal was horrific. Yeah. Uh, especially because it, it was just so a microcosm of the real world because there's a Ugh, this really hot character named Aaron who's playing the game. Um, but he was awful because he was going on about how 
if this was happening, I would have known about it, etc. Uh, and he actually apologized in real life this week after seeing the episode. And so did one of the girls who said that she had never accused Dan of anything. She apologized too. I feel like everybody watching this back was very horrified. Um, and that's also the benefit of Survivor in a way, you know, because it, 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 it happened, but this was filmed months ago, right? Mm-hmm. Something where Big Brother is unfolding in real time you feel angrier because you're wondering why CBS isn't stepping in as we're watching things happen on live feeds and yeah. unfolding. When the Survivor thing happens, it's always like, okay, well, this happened months ago. Honey, you had time. It's done. Mm-hmm. So you in have post. time now to, you have time in post. You have time now as you're watching it back to reevaluate what you did and apologize. And it's harder when, you know, like you're being racist for weeks on TV and then you're confronted with it with Big Brother, and it's like, I didn't know I was being racist. It's like, of course not, because no one's showing you the footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I, I actually really liked Missy's apology on Twitter, where she said, I became so caught up in gameplay that I did not realize a very serious situation, nor did I handle it with the care that it deserved. Due to the nature of Survivor, I was viewing the game through a small lens with a limited scope. I did not have all the information on the subject, and I made a game move that was unjust. I genuinely apologize for my actions. That sounds like a bland cover-up in certain ways, but also I believe it, actually. Yeah. When you're stuck in that situation, yeah. I think it's fair to say, you know what? I, I got a certain bit of information, which, by the way, is the only currency in Survivor, information. Yeah. Yeah. And so you act a certain way, and maybe it's not you know, socially just, unfortunately. It's a dis- I mean, it's a disgusting game on purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were told this revelation by a castmate that you're friends with, and then another cast member tells you, that person is only cozying up to you because they plan to blindside you and get you out. What are you supposed to think about that entire conversation that you had? Yeah, the whole paranoia of it just seems so gross. And it, and I mean, I guess that mirrors, you know, real life Me Too things in the yeah. industry. I mean, we just talked to like Ronan about that and we read Catch and Kill, right? And it's like, if you're a woman who dealt with this from wine scene or something, it's like, the paranoia that sets in of whether everyone's talking about you, whether some people think, oh, now that you're difficult because you said this and that. I mean, it was really interesting watching all of this on display. And it was especially reminiscent of it because, I don't know if you said this earlier, but Dan is a Hollywood manager. Yeah, he is. He's a talent manager. And his defense when it was brought up at Tribal Council that it was the complaints were about him and that's why they had to talk – his response was wild, too, because he kept saying, you know, I work in an industry where this has been happening, and I have many women who work for me, and I would never do this. He really also kept trying to hammer in, are we going to be focused on this the rest of the game? And Jeff Probst was like, yeah, yeah. we are. And I, by the way, it is especially gross to see the touching in action. You yes. watch it, and it's like, he is touching Kelly's face. Yes. He's, or like her scalp, whatever, and not thinking about it. And clearly, there's and like he's always smiling when he's doing it. And it's, it's laying meant- on the ground and just sort yeah. of like she's having a conversation with someone else and then rubbing her toes. Yeah, right. You're in no way having an interaction with her. There was a very interesting moment, too, where Kelly talked about how it depends on intent and intimacy with people, you mm-hmm. know? Because there's another player on the show, Tommy, mm-hmm. um, this redhead. Right. And and she's like, when Tommy puts like his arm around me or something, it doesn't feel gross, mm-hmm. you know? And it's talking about interactions with different people. You know, one person like rubbing your back at a party, 
is going to be different than it with someone else you have a different relationship with. That might have been the one actually significantly um, productive thing about this episode is there is an unpacking of realizing you weren't trusting your instincts or not wanting to trust your instincts when, in fact, other people are having the same ones mm-hmm. or realizing, what was I thinking? Of course this is wrong. You yeah. know, We are innately aware beings. We know when somebody has intentions that are ill-willed against us. But I think this man took advantage of the fact that they're in a situation where everything is tenuous and the way you speak to someone can be read in a different way that he didn't care and wasn't aware of what he was doing. I'm also, in addition to this, so absolutely tired of Me Too as narrative. Mm-hmm. Me Too as a plot device. Me mm-hmm. Too deliberately being used to structure the entirety of an episode. Like, I think that CBS could have done a better job of, you know, elaborating on this or preparing us for this. The backlash to this has been, you know, discussed and people being so uncomfortable with that most recent episode. So I just, I don't want to see any more, which is another reason why I don't like the morning show. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, also bring it just right back around. Both on Big Brother, but especially Survivor, the editing is slick, period. Like, mm. the drama feels so conveniently aligned for a narrative that, I mean, it's obviously entertaining and sort of easy to take in because they sp- spoon-feed you every part of it. But for that reason also, you know it's not exactly as it happened either. Right. Mm. Well, especially Big Brother because we you could see live feeds happening. And then when the episode is actually crafted and comes out, you know that things are being left out to make people seem a different way. Right. Um, like, they don't want you to feel like a hundred different things about a certain cast member. In order for yeah. a narrative to make sense, like, one person has to be good, one person has to be bad, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, you know? if they catch you yawning, they'll use it in the middle of a fight. Do right. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, right, it's right. very deliberate editing to create, again, the narratives that they want us to see. Also, it's just mind-boggling trying to feel like CBS is delivering anything substantive on the Me Too conversation when we just dealt with Les Moonves and the fact that Julie Chen is still sashaying around the Big Brother house saying, I'm Julie Chen Moonves. This is Big Brother. She really hasn't dropped the gimmick. It's pretty jarring. She didn't have to go that hard and yet she still did. (laughs) Oh, I am so sad to use that phrasing in this context. God, remember when we just liked Julie Chen? Yeah. times. (laughs) Do you think you can continue watching the season in good faith? There are certain people who are so filled with contempt about this that they don't know if they can watch. But that also strikes me as something you say before tuning back into Survivor. Of course, right? <laughs> I thought I wasn't going to finish watching Big Brother right. this season. Every well, it's time. like rubbernecking. Now I have to see it. Yeah. You know, I have to finish it. I'm going to watch it because, uh, honestly, it was a really fucking good season up until this episode. Mm-hmm. And now I'm also interested in seeing how it seeps into the rest of the season. I mean, there's no way that this won't affect the way everyone continues to play this game. I'm actually, I'm most interested in how it will affect Janet in particular, not just because she looks like um, Judy Dench and Philomena, which just instantly (laughs) puts me in her corner. But also it's like, is there a dubious light on her now? Mm-hmm. Is there more of a sympathetic one? I feel like anybody who has any sort of sympathy in survivors immediately targeted as uh, a candidate to be eliminated because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a jury-related game ultimately. Yeah. So. Anyway, we'll be right back with JoJo. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? 
Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. We are here with JoJo. Hello. Hi. It is nice to be reunited on another podcast. Feels so good. The 12 people who listen to Speed Dial know know what that is. Uh, But you are back with new music again. Last time we talked, it was the release of Mad Love. Right. Which I can't believe is already three years ago. I can't either. And it was after 10 years of no music. So, how is it feeling now being back to a recording schedule? <laughs> it feels much better. <laughs> it was so weird and like not how I envisioned things to have a 10 year break while I was, I mean, quote unquote break. I was putting out mixtapes and things like that, but I just love to be able to perform music, write it, put it out. That's just what I've always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, now that I'm, um, now that I have the infrastructure and the support to be able to do that, feeling right yeah good the amount that you've been through just in the music industry alone i mean i would compare it to uh, and there are stories like this i hear about and i always feel like i'm failing to understand how difficult it is but like my favorite people have all been through like what seems like the worst hell like liz Mm -hmm. fair amy mann just whatever like had to buy back her masters to put out her biggest album ever oh wow or her best album ever um, do you feel like a hardened veteran? I mean, you were born in the 90s, and I feel like you lived three lives in this industry already. <laughs> it does feel like I've, I've had a lot of uh, different experiences, for sure. Do I feel like a hardened vet? No, I, I, I like what I do too much. Like I, I, I guess there's an element of I, I don't look at things as naively as I used to, for sure. I mean, there's been a lot of things that I've learned, but... Nah, I still love this shit. It's still what I want to do and everything, you know? Yeah. And I I think, I mean, I, I know I enjoy putting out music in 2019 more than I did in 2004, to be yeah. honest with you, because mm. there's more freedom. There's less, you have to be just, you know, one thing or you just need to fit into a box. There's much, I, I just feel a lot freer in it, so... Have more fun. I mean, of course, like, those songs were like bops in 2004, but (laughs) there was something just so great about hearing you sing, like, Leave, Get Out Mm -hmm. in 2016. Really? (laughs) Yeah, you know, like, hearing you sing it like you were grown up, you know? And it was was always sort of, even as a kid, it was always sort of weird, like, hearing you sing that song, you know? It's super weird. I had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you've always been grown, though. Like, when I was younger... I sure wanted to be. You wanted to be. (laughs) Like, the music and your voice and the way you talked about and sang about what you were going through or maybe not going through. (laughs) I don't know. I I remember being a kid and being like, oh, she's grown. She a woman. Like, a whole woman. I wanted you to think that because, because honestly, I was embarrassed to be so young. Yeah. I felt really... I was just like on an island by myself. How old were you? I was when, thirteen when, yeah, when my first right. single "Leave" came out, mm-hmm. and I, I always wanted to be grow up faster because I was like, I want to be able to go and hang out with other people, like mm-hmm. other artists. I really didn't get to. 
I felt like I was in a bubble a yeah. little bit. But now that I look back, I'm like, wow, you you were a child, you know, just so I definitely have new perspective on the song. So when I was, you know, re-recording the stuff out of pretty much necessity because I didn't want my history and my legacy that I'm building for myself, I didn't want that to just be erased. I mean, yeah. th- these these albums weren't available. So I saw a loophole and I um, recorded it. But in the process of that, um, in like remaking the masters and stuff, I had a new relationship with these songs, with these lyrics, because I am grown now. Yeah. And, and I have had a bunch of different ups and downs in relationships, whether it's my fault or someone else's fault. And mm-hmm. so I'm putting that experience into it with, with these re-records. What is the, ex- I mean, can you talk more about the experience of, uh, one, re-recording the songs, but two, like, reevaluating the lyrical content of them? I'm just saying, if I look back at something I wrote 15 years ago, I am likely going to hate it. Oh, I'm horrified. That's what I'm yes. saying. <laughs> I can't believe I have to see this. I can't oh believe God, it was me. Is... I can't believe anybody enjoyed it. I know, that's how I feel, too. I mean, with, with, with most of the songs... Um, for my first two albums because I was 12 and 15 when I recorded the the first two. Um, so I wasn't the lead writer on any of these things, you know, but I was learning a lot about writing. But when I, when I look back, it's nostalgia for me as well because I remember how excited I was to be in the studio and all that stuff and how I thought I related to these lyrics even though I had absolutely no idea what what it really meant to kick somebody out of your life but mm-hmm. I, I was always an old soul so I guess I was channeling something or at least trying to trying to find something in it you know I loved those songs so it's not like a, it was a stretch for me yeah trying to make it make sense for you at any age I, I just loved it but I certainly was in middle school so I didn't know really what I was <laughs> yeah, right. so But that is also sort of the vibe of people who love music, right? Right. You know, because everything I feel like we listened to in middle school, I didn't know what those lyrics meant, but you feel it. I mean, yeah, and there were some things that I didn't even feel. Like when I was listening to Ludacris' Splash Waterfalls, (laughs) why did I know every lyric? I was not doing anything close to that. But I just like, I liked the feeling. Are they swimming? Like, what are they doing? (laughs) That was nice. It's a beautiful visual. I I love that song. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, On your new song, Joanna, uh, which I love, you know, it is sort of you re-evaluating, you know, your career up to this point. We go back a long time I've been riding with you since day one Oh, I remember we were just kids You were singing, winning, so young and innocent Some of the lines, too, like, you know, talking about, like, do you still act, you know, like, what happened to your career? Mm-hmm. And, uh... One of the last things I remember seeing you in was a friend of Lewis and I's, uh, George Northeast. Yes. GBF. Yes. Yes. And is that something you're still interested in? I've always been interested in acting. I did my first like theater thing in, in Massachusetts when I was six. So it's, it's something I've always loved doing. But I think especially when I started to go through issues with my music career because of my label and because I wasn't able to release stuff, I became particularly obsessed with just focusing on that. Mm-hmm. And and also really quite depressed to where I couldn't focus on anything other than that and, and getting my voice back and finding that freedom. So if the right opportunity comes along, I 
definitely want to do it. But until then, I, I don't want to make choices just to just to do something in, in acting. I want it to I want it to feel right. Yeah. I, just like with everything else in my life right now, it just has to feel right. I'm sure it was like completely disorienting not to be able to put out music the way you wanted. But my question specifically for you is, was it also additionally frustrating to have fans who are so fervent about you, who are so mm-hmm. obsessed with like, you know, justice for JoJo, et cetera? <laughs> Did that only end up frustrating you more? I think it definitely turned me up. I yeah. think I was like really getting super juiced and, and, and more angry because I wanted to deliver and I I just I felt embarrassed that I didn't have answers you know I I hate feeling that out of control to where I can't be at all the captain of what direction my ship was going for a while Um, but it it made me feel supported because that's what they were giving me their encouragement and support and um, it would have been a lot worse if nobody said anything at all to me you know what I mean so it's like People who have been rocking with me since that time are just really deeply embedded into my heart. Yeah. When you're making music now, do you feel any pressure to try and recoup the old fans or try and like appeal to them in the ways like making the music that you used to make? Or is it like, I'm going to just do JoJo now, just make whatever I want to make? Well, it's just a different time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think that a, a song from 2006 as much as we we love to to hear that and it feels nostalgic i don't think that that the same sound really has a place mm-hmm. in 2019 so just as i've evolved in the way i look you know you continue to grow and get older and have different experiences i, I like different things musically as well and i want to say different things i want to collaborate with different people so it's it's not that i'm looking to recoup i i, I on any you know f- fans from I just can't worry myself about that. Like that's not really my that's not my job. I think my job is just to continue to to make music and to be as much of myself as I can be because yeah. that's what people resonate with. Speaking of like even collabs and things, that is something else that was probably a bit frustrating too, you know, with that gap of being able to, you know, not really put out music, you know, where they're like artists who you were really inspired by during that period, you you were like, man, I really wish I could have worked with you during that period. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Off the top of my head, I can't even bring somebody to mind, but I just, at at a point, I I didn't own my voice, so anything that I wanted to do with it that involved a melody, I had to get approval, and that was always shut down. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just felt like I couldn't, like I was just kind of watching people play like I was a little kid watching people play and I was like I want to play (laughs) (laughs) kind of that 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 feeling but um but it's a new dawn and and and, and thankfully like pretty I I would say that the first collaboration that I was able to to do and be really excited about was the song that I have out with PJ Morton and Mm -hmm. um I just I love other singers I love music so much that I just want to sing pretty much every chance Mm -hmm. I get yeah Mm-hmm. That new sabotage track, I can't stop listening to it. Thank like, you. I really can't stop listening oh to it. Oh my God. Thank you, babe. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And it's nice to see. I mean, you've always had it. You've always had the sheer talent and everything. And it's always, you know, you've delivered every time. But this track is jazzy and kind of has this cool, really, really sultry R&B sound to it. And it's hey. like, damn. I mean, it's really I, good. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. I, that That bass just slaps me in the face and it makes me. And that's how I want to feel. <laughs> and that feature with Chica, Ooh, mm, that yes. girl can rap her whole 
Man. Her whole everything up. <laughs> yes. It was she's... so exciting seeing you have a song with her because I remember all of us sort of in that way that people were like, justice for JoJo, you know, like <laughs> rallying behind you, right? I remember, was it like even a year or two ago where people were really rallying behind Chica? You Ooh, know, it was like, yeah. Man, she was so great special. putting out stuff Very on talented. Twitter and YouTube and it was glad that she's finally collaborating with people. That's how I found her, too, on Instagram, because um, this producer that I work with, Lido, was like, have you heard of this amazing new rapper, Chica? And I'm like, nah, put me on. And I just became obsessed, just watching video after video, mm-hmm. and I was like, who is this girl? She's so <laughs> bomb. And then when I saw that um, the label that I'm with signed her, I was like, oh, you, guys, you guys are smart, because <laughs> I would have signed her, too. Yeah. She's, she's amazing, and um, I thought she'd be the perfect fit just for this kind of introduction to the new sound. And she just excites me. And I just want to be around people who inspire and excite me. Like, yeah. she's bomb. I feel like you are in the interesting position where throughout your entire career, a huge part of your fan base would be a lot older than you are. Mm. Um, when I, I have this memory in college. I was an RA, which is not a cool thing. Don't if, <laughs> if most RAs are not cool, don't meet them. But anyway, <laughs> I attempted to be a cool RA. And every week, we had to talk about something good that happened to us that week. It was like kindergarten. It was disgusting. <laughs> but there was a, a girl in my year who was like, there's this new song called Too Little Too Late out this week and I just had a very hard week and it really has changed and it, it, which was like cute at the time and a little I mean she was like a little bit of a crazy person <laughs> a little but dramatic. at the same time I think back to that time I'm like you were definitely like five years younger than us <laughs> yeah. writing about experience and we were relating to you what's it like having people relate to you who are like you know beyond your age range <laughs> pretty trippy it, yeah. it, it, put, it kind of put you in a strange balance of uh, it's like don't look up to me for any insight because I have no idea what I'm doing I'm just figuring it out yo and like just being kissed for the first time pretty yeah. much you yeah. know what I mean so yeah I don't know but it's definitely it's cool that a lot of my fans and I have grown up together so now they're you know now I get to make music for people who are in their 20s and we're kind of experiencing a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. You've finally yeah. gotten there. Finally Thank God. caught up a little bit. Yeah, I've, my head has, I, my body has grown into my huge head. And like, <laughs> I've just grown up, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of like new sound, you know, like what is it that you f- really feel like you want to accomplish with this new record, new music? Oh, man. Um, I want to reach out to people and, hope that we can have a a shared experience of just emotion like to me that's the most satisfying part of being an artist especially in live performances and being is being able to look into people's eyes and see that we're feeling a similar feeling Mm -hmm. um so what i hope to accomplish with this music is is never taking that long of a break first of all ever again and making stuff that i'm proud of that is going to stand up over the years and you know I, I just want people to incorporate this into their lives and mm-hmm. have people asked you for my... advice like other artists you know for, for what you've dealt with because it's it's not uncommon mm-hmm. in the industry you know I haven't been asked that much mm-hmm. for you know one on one advice from artists even mm-hmm. though I do think I, I have some good insight I was going to say <laughs> are you prepared to give it yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I think I'm prepared to give it I, I need to really hone in on what that is, but it's just about knowledge really is power. Mm-hmm. And just read the fine print. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you have a great lawyer. All things like that. Um, it really is wild because, I mean, 
even of what Lewis was saying earlier, I feel like R&B music, you know, pop music, it's like it's littered with stories of mm-hmm. people who just don't have control, you know? And I feel like it was something that was really sort of brought to the forefront with you. And then this year, too, you know, even when someone like Taylor Swift was mm-hmm. saying, like, I need to re-record my songs, you know? It's like I don't think that people really know how Do it, pervasive it is, you mm-hmm. know, to not own music that you create. Right. Yeah, and that's something that I didn't think about, of course, when I was signing my first contract at, at 12. I didn't know anything about, like, ownership of masters. <laughs> I was not. As much as I thought I was grown, I didn't know nothing, and I still am not a young lawyer. Um, but you definitely learn a lot just over the years of paying attention. Um, it's so, so important, and I think that labels are a lot more willing to profit share now and there's a demand because they know how attractive it could be to go independent as well mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and just have 100% control but then there's risks and rewards on both sides mm-hmm. I feel like this is particular to um, gay male pop fans um, <laughs> I, whom My I'm loves. sure you've, you say you've <laughs> interacted with I'm sure um, but like I'm somebody who's very into like uh, my pop stars is icons. Like I like I'm super into like Kylie Minogue. I've got to know what she's doing mm. in any given moment or whatever. Do you have icons where you're just obsessed with their every move, or are you actually just a chiller, more adult person than I will ever be? <laughs> <laughs> I do stand some of uh, some queens out there for sure. Like I mean. I don't need to know everything that Mariah Carey's doing, but mm. I really want to know what her favorite champagne is. Oh, like, yeah. I'm yes. very curious. Changes by to, the day. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know her morning routine. I want to know, you know, I think about J-Lo. Like, girl, how do you balance it all? Like, mm-hmm. h- how do you how do you look like that? How do you have this residency? How are you killing it in acting? How are you a great mom? How are you? I just don't understand. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think this is all amazing. Um Ira and I saw her in Vegas, and it truly was like watching a weather phenomenon. I mean, yeah. she outlasts the, the room. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. No, that we were energy. in the pit, too, and so it was just like, wow, there is J-Lo looming Lo- over you. Just radiating. Just unbelievable. Actually, champagne color. I would say she looked like a champagne-filled like lava lamp. That's wow. what she looked like. Yeah. Lit from within. Ooh, that is beautiful. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and I, I would agree. Um, but, like, I live for all the, you know, Whitney gifts and memes and oh, stuff. Please. You know, so. Oh, this idiot over here does, too. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've seen his Twitter. Wow, what a moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, a, a moment mo- mo- most pleasing in my career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good to see you again. It's, it's so, so great good to having you, you here, you know? And and it's so great to, you know, just listen to your music and enjoy it and know that you are doing what you want to do finally. Thanks. I just can't wait to put the rest of it out there. I'm super anxious. I don't want to wait until spring of next year to put out this whole album, but you know, we're setting it up and it's going to be it's going to be amazing. I just can't wait to go on tour pretty much. Good. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. It's getting hard for me to hold my own See, nobody wants to be in love alone So I'm trying my best not to overreact But I need to know right now, no lies, just facts Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, 
Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Disney Plus has added a disclaimer to movies like The Jungle Book, Dumbo, and Peter Pan because they depict racist stereotypes. You don't say. (laughs) This is completely new information to me. They should have issued a disclaimer for the live-action Dumbo. Danny DeVito's in it. I would have seen it for that reason alone, but then, of course, I read the reviews. Yes, Colin Farrell and also Ava Green. Oh. Who, at one point, rides Dumbo and says... Fly, Prince of the Elephants. <laughs> wow. God, I loved her so much in Casino Royale. That's such an... Her character is so by far the best Bond girl of all time. Mm-hmm. There's no competition. So don't, don't engage in that debate if it ever comes up. She was very good in that Supernatural TV joint with Josh Hartnett. show was that? Penny Dreadful? No. Penny Dreadful. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Doing what the other pennies weren't doing. Got it. Like Pennywise. <laughs> I like my pennies dreadful, not wise. <laughs> well, I saw that movie, It Too, this year, and he was doing what the other clowns should have done because it was bad. <laughs> but obviously, if Disney is making all of their content available, minus Song of the South, which is too hot for TV, like a Jerry Springer episode that yeah. had to be released on VHS. <laughs> wow. Of course, we're going to get some content warnings. And clearly, Neither disclaimers or racist content is stopping anyone. Disney Plus got 10 million subscribers in their first day. Can 10 you... million subscribers, no album out. That <laughs> is wild. I love when the an underdog day? yeah, is productive. Yeah. It works out for them. <laughs> no features, just Disney. <laughs> oh my God. Disney outsold. I felt like we were standing a bit for Disney Plus. The other week. And you certainly th- were, and I was witness to it. Okay, well, now that the dust has had time to settle, I feel like this is definitely goofy. This program is presented as originally created. It may contain outdated cultural depictions. No shit, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's a general, I don't want to say pleasure of watching old movies, but there are really an infinite amount of ways in which a movie can be dated, yes. let alone yeah. offensive. Yeah. So this past weekend I was watching um, this uh, movie from 1937 called In Old Chicago, which stars this very now underrated old Hollywood hottie named Tyrone Power. Um, he is tall, dark, dastardly looking, eyebrows, all my favorite things. Oh, I know him. Yeah. He's hot. But, uh, so it, was it, he? There's rumors that he was gay. And that Scotty Bauer's book, Full Service, there's rumors about Tyrone Power. Okay, but not like evil like Errol Flynn. No, no. Who had an autobiography called what? My Wicked, Wicked Ways. Yeah. Best title ever. (laughs) Um, But anyway, in this movie, it's about um, what leads up to the Great Chicago Fire. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's also a a romance and a musical because it's one of these Gone with the Wind size movies Mm -hmm. that just no one talks about anymore. Um, he, 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 of course, is this Hollywood Lothario. Tyrone Power plays this beautiful man. The romance is purely him tackling a woman and getting her to like 
be interested in him via physical force. It is shocking to see. It is terribly offensive. And we should also be able to see it because that was fucking normal once upon a time to depict in a movie. And I think we can't learn enough from it. We can't, like, I, I, I no one would ever tell you that that was in this movie. You just think of it as an old movie. Right. But- you and I were, were re-looking at what the trailer for uh, Gone with the Wind. Right. And the way Rhett Butler is basically just... Slapping her around, forcing her to kiss him. Right. And the, like, the thrill of the movie, in a way, is him showing up her character with mean one-liners. Yeah. Uh, and that is a thing that I feel like, culturally, we just sort of have to rock with in movies. And you should be a parent who, if you are having your child rewatch old movies uh, that you loved, maybe you can actually be a parent and have a conversation with them yeah. about how... That shit isn't appropriate. Yeah. I mean, I, did we get disclaimers when we were growing up watching John Hughes movies, like after right. kids who watched them in the 80s? And it's like, the amount of rape in those movies. See, I don't know if maybe I was ignorant to it, but when I watched Peter Pan, I want to know, okay, what has happened to the vault? Why have we opened, when Peter Pan came out, when I when it re-came out when I was a kid, and my mom would show it to me, she would either skip the scene, the really the really offensive Native American scene, or it was not in the movie in the re-release. So I wonder, like, their song of the South should be that girl should be in the vault, right? Yeah. <laughs> she should be in a straight jacket in the vault. But why is it that we're having to do disclaimers when we could just t- that it's not essential to the plot of the of the story? Mm-hmm. Mm, so you think that we should take it out? I just personally think that we should take it out, and I don't know if that's a racist of me. Is that a word? A word, you know what I meant. Uh huh. Is your anti art, yes, yes, or is it is it important that we? I mean, this is this is a question too that has to do with intent, right? Because we've had this conversation before with should we remove um nigger Jim's name in Mark Twain books, you know? Yeah. It's like, do we want kids reading that? But it's also like, I read that when I was in school and learn to deal with it. So it's better to see the thing and then have a conversation rather than to never have had the conversation. I think, yeah, I, th- I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we don't have conversations, mm-hmm. you know? Um, that's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. But there's also movies where maybe you could remove it because I think that um, Soap Dish is one of my favorite movies and unfortunately it is marred at the end by a very transphobic joke. And I think if you removed that joke from the movie, it also wouldn't ruin the plot. And I don't think yeah. it's worth having a conversation because what would the conversation be? It was like, they oh, in the, in, in, yeah. in the early 90s, it was easy to make a joke about a trans person. Mm-hmm. And so they did it. God, I'm trying to think of uh, examples of offensiveness in old movies that I in movies that I still watch. I mean like even when you watch old mm-hmm. Hitchcock movies, there's something about always the way the women are presented not just in their like shockingly yellow white hair constantly. Like mm-hmm. truly these women are on capers redyeing their hair constantly. It makes no sense. Every murderer is a faggot. Yeah, right. Oh yeah, and that too. Oh my god, did Hitchcock love a uh, a slightly fay murderous man? Yes. <laughs> um but I, I just feel like even in those movies, there's something so like you're supposed to be in awe of her glamour as she's participating in this caper, whereas you are the men are always more humanized and we get to play as them. We, we they're our protagonists. We're in their shoes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that's like as offensive as these other things we're talking about, but there's always some level of lol. We thought that was normal once upon a time, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, there's also the notion that Disney has these disclaimers on those movies, but not on, say, Pocahontas or Aladdin, which we started to have the conversation about how, you know, that depicts indigenous people and how so mm-hmm. how that depicts um, Arabs. You know, my favorite thing about Pocahontas is that they based the figure of Pocahontas, the way she looked, on one, a real-life descendant of Pocahontas, and two, Christy Turlington. They just decided to merge the two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one wasn't more important than the other. I, th- I think the especially difficult thing about this is that a lot of these storylines, a lot of the entirety of the characters and what they represent are predicated on racist things. You know, like how do we get rid of something like Tom and Jerry? How do we get rid of something like... Mulan or Pocahontas, like you were saying, the entire plot line is offensive mm-hmm. because it comes from a kind of like malignant place, you know, as far as culture is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, I think that is part of what even Alan Moore was saying this week when he was talking about um, superhero movies, you know, and it was, it was different from the Scorsese version, but it was, you know, Alan Moore, Creative Watchmen, um, V for Vendetta. He talked about how, you know, a lot of our, maybe our first superhero movie was Birth of a Nation, you know, because it was like about the capes and the KKK and, you know, it was like protecting the white race. And it's like a lot of even early superheroes are born of, you know, just sort of a white man savior, you know, Uh, not Superman as much because people sort of ignore the fact that that was made by two Jewish creators and in a time of the 30s when, you know, that was sort of fighting against um, the white supremacy. Um, But, you know, a lot of those heroes and things that we see are just steeped in, yes, the white male is sort of this perfect idealized figure. You know, I mean... It placates a certain type of male viewer most of all. James Bond movies, you know? It's like we've had decades of those and it's like mm-hmm. this is James Bond that's who it is mm-hmm. I mean I was already pretty convinced but that just reminds me once again that we maybe needed to have those things so that we can say oh in retrospect here's what we were doing here are our errors culturally so let's move forward from that you know um, here's what I would offer it's white men telling white stories I mean like even yeah. like, the way we learn history period is white mm-hmm. men telling a white story mm-hmm. you know here's what I would offer Disney has so much fucking money and Disney made so much money um, off of the, you know, racist ideals of the past. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of these stories about other races were made by white people. Make some new fucking animated movies, you know? Yeah. Like, it was so shocking when Princess and the Frog came out, right? Because it was like, oh, this here's this movie, and they don't even really do these animated movies anymore. It's yeah. like, why are we so obsessed with showing the vault to kids and not producing new content for people. And I think that's one of my chief complaints against Disney Plus and sort of Disney as a whole now. It's so much leaning on nostalgia and just shoveling these old things at kids instead of creating new stories Mm -hmm. that can be more progressive than the previous stories. Also, that movie, um, just the cute factor of it, Remains underrated. I love the Randy Newman music too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You a fan? I am a fan, but I still will try and make everything problematic just to process it. And I still think that they picked a very um, like magical caricature of Mm -hmm. what a black woman is. Mm -hmm. It's not inherently problematic, but definitely is nuanced. It's just a magical chef. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's simply irresistible. The 
the animated movie. She's like a <laughs> she's like a Playboy mammy character. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. it was a little. I think that they could have gone with something else. But you know, it's still good to see a black princess, quote unquote. Yeah, for for twenty minutes. Yeah, she's mostly a frog. <laughs> mostly a frog in that movie. I just want to talk about Gone with the Wind, one of the most canceled and recanceled movies of all time. It's also not widely publicized how much backlash that movie got from black people back then. Totally. Um, A lot of these conversations always ignore the fact that people were mad about these things when they came out. They just didn't have a voice to express that. Mm -hmm. There was no black Twitter. There was no keep it. There was no keep it. (laughs) Okay. In, in, In the 1930s, we would have said keep it to Gone with the Wind. Certainly. No, yeah. I would have been right there. Keep I would it. have voted for Ninochka for Best Picture. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we're back. Keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. As usual, it's Keep It. Lewis. What's your keep it first? You are staring intently. I'm just making sure all my sauciness is here to make my keep it as as juicy and scrumptious (laughs) as it should be. Um, My keep it this week is to um, a quote-unquote song, which now, as I understand songs, they have melodies and you want to listen to them. (laughs) This one is called Beautiful Ghosts. It is by two up-and-comers named Taylor Swift and Andrew Lloyd Webber, (laughs) and it is the original song from the... Motion picture, I believe it is actually more an erotic issue of Cat Fancy. (laughs) Cats, the musical. (laughs) Guys, okay, I have said this before. I enjoy Taylor Swift. I think she's a very good songwriter. Never rising above a B plus, but I enjoy a B plus. Again, it's like the show Modern Family. We all like it well enough. Here's the thing. I often feel like her lyrics, sometimes from one line to the next, are disconnected and can apply somewhat basically to any romantic situation. And in this particular case, the lyrics are so baffling to me. I don't know how it would fit into a movie, and I don't know what she is talking about or if she is awake while saying these things. I don't understand. Here is the first verse. Follow me home if you dare to. I wouldn't know where to lead you. Should I take chances when no one took chances on me? So I watch from the dark, wait for my life to start with no beauty in my memory. You are dying. What is happening? <laughs> are those thoughts? Well, she is a jellical cat and they all are dead. I get I mean she's she she's thinks confused. I think she's thinking like a cat. I mean if a cat had to speak, maybe it would sound like this. Is the second verse just her hacking up a furball? Right, and saying I can has cheeseburger or something? <laughs> I don't know. I uh I, I'm impressed when Taylor Swift can sort of uh, put a wry smile on my face, uh, like sort of like in, in the song um, Blank Space, mm-hmm. when she's, uh, uh, boys only want love if it's torture. I think that's a somewhat witty line. To me, this is like deprived of wit and replaced with, I'll call it whimsy on the one hand, and then also vague visions of passion on the other. It's just like not even close to meaningful. I'm, I'm like baffled trying to put it all together. Well, it of seems it's... very vague for even her, who I think part of her appeal is vague language that appeals to everybody. Well, I would call it baffling probably because Andrew Lloyd Webber is involved and um not lyrically though, right? I the lyrics do strike me as all her. All Taylor. Yeah, I mean what's the last great song that Andrew Lloyd Webber did? I mean, there's one that I love on Love Never Dies, but that entire musical 
so-called musical sequel to Phantom of the Opera is a torturous moment. No one has time for you to stump for Love Never Dies. <laughs> I'm I angry. Th- I said it's torturous. Okay, There's good. one good song in it. All right. What uh, is your favorite ALW joint? Uh, mm, I think it's still Phantom. Oh, you think I so? I think it's still Phantom. Uh, Avita, the concept album, um, even though it made no fucking sense at the time, uh, is great. I really love Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful song. Also, covered by The Carpenters. That's you are exactly right from the from the album Passage in 1977. Yeah, God, I love you sometimes. Yeah. Only right now. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I, he's I, had a series of train wrecks though recently, and I just I don't know what Andrew Lloyd Webber is doing. Ed Katz is bringing back to the forefront that Andrew Lloyd Webber is always a composer that everyone just sort of drags in theater. Right. So it um, unfortunately he had to. Have a knockout collabo with Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean they're relevant. They're they're, they're yeah. from two completely different universes anyway, and to put them together here, I, I I don't know what I expected, but what I got here is refrigerator magnets. <laughs> Can't make sense of it. I just want to get in the fridge. <laughs> uh, your Green Lantern's girlfriend. That's right. <laughs> Dead in the fridge. This week, my keep it goes to. People magazine and their sexiest man alive, which was just recently decided to be John Legend, which mm-hmm. we will get into. But my first, it's a, this is a two part keep it over the same thing. Keep it to People magazine thinking that they still need to release a sexiest man alive feature every single year because I'm over the superlatives. Like we are so beyond that. Who is the sexiest man alive? And also, John Legend? Like, I think he's an attractive man. Run him his things. He's a wonderful father. He's a wonderful musician. He's EGOT, so, you know, already prime man. However, John Legend looks like Arthur from the PBS show Arthur. Do you know? <laughs> like, he's not the sexiest man alive. <laughs> he's a talented, wonderful person, and I love to see him and hear what he's doing all the time. But I don't think that he's necessarily the sexiest man alive. I will say this superlative of sexiest man alive is particularly meaningless now in, in an era in which we are inundated with images of just sexy men everywhere. With Jason it, Momoa being alive. Precisely. Are we serious? We talk about him all the time being one of the most attractive men. My and, Instagram discover tab is just sexy men. Who, yes. Who are maybe alive. And nary a John Legend <laughs> appears <Yeah>. on that. <laughs> it's just, it's something that uh, it reminds me of. Uh, we've talked about the Razzies in this way, where when it was invented, there was more of a need for, say, snark about movies and what was the worst movie because we were so, like, the Oscars were taking hold and we wanted to counteract that. With People's Sexiest Man Alive, maybe at that time we didn't discuss about, discuss men in terms of sexuality primarily in, in most cases. You know, well, we women were Playgirl. primarily objectified. Yeah. We had Playgirl, but, you know, I don't think that the, uh, the, the horny moms in a supermarket needed something that they could grab and take home. Right, You, know, you right. couldn't take Playgirl yeah. home, but you could take people right. with um, Nick Nolte on the cover. Totally. Yes, with Nick Nolte that can was, get that it. That was unthreatening to your husband. Exactly. This, no, it, this comes from an era in which Mel Gibson could be named the sexiest man alive and you wouldn't take to the streets and riot. So put your head in that space. But I will still say John Legend is a very, very sexy man. But if I'm going to buy into what People Magazine is doing and the kind of aesthetics that they tend to pick... You're not. I'm not buying. In, I'm not buying into John Legend. Yeah, I'm not. It's been a, it just Elba in the past and Brad Pitt and these people who are 
deliberately kind of posing themselves as sex gods or mm-hmm. like sex icons. John Legend don't do that. He's got a baby. <laughs> yeah, he's pleasant. Yes, he's. Yeah. That's enough. He's <laughs> nice. He's sweet. You know, I mean, I do get turned on by anyone who tickles the ivories. Wow. Somehow you made that the grossest yeah. turn of phrase of all time. Um, <laughs> but you did see Barbara Corcoran from uh, Shark Tank discuss this, right? Oh, my God. Well, fucking Barbara. What did she, she say? She, like, dragged him for being called se- people's sexiest man alive. And, and then in a follow-up post where Snoop Dogg jokingly posted about how he should be sexiest man alive, Barbara commented, now that I could get behind. At which point what? Chrissy Teigen commented with... Um, Barbara, are you ever going to shut up about this? Which is pretty awesome. (laughs) Let Snoop Dogg be a meme. Snoop Dogg wants to be a meme so bad. We have to just let him do it at this point. Right. We have to. When he became a game show host a couple years ago, then I was really in his corner. The Joker's wild. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a cute move. Wow. Uh, My keep it this week is to every gay friend of mine who is bullying me. Oh, what happened? Because I want to see Ford versus Ferrari. Oh. I have a friend who saw that movie and thinks it will win Best Picture. I think it will, too. I love Cars, and I think that it is a perfectly designed... I love Cars was your argument. Go on. <laughs> yes. Cars, the Disney movie. Oh, sure. Pixar. The franchise. Yeah, Lightning yes. McQueen. I'm familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like it is one of those perfectly engineered Ira movies, too, because it, it sort of puts together a lot of interests that I like. I tend to like, you know, those sort of heightened, classy, you know, man's movies. You mean like mm-hmm. a Steve McQueen situation, yeah, shall we say? You know, mm-hmm. I I think I feel like that is the height of straight male excellence. Uh, and we should have more of those instead of um, Todd Phillips's. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. you should go to a NASCAR rally sometime and observe some more male excellence. Okay, well, see, Ford versus Ferrari <laughs> is classier than NASCAR, okay? You know, you're not, like, sitting on a cinder block, you know, um, <laughs> drinking a Bud Light, um, watching Jed drive by on his way home from <laughs> the um, Daughters of the Revolution meeting. I love you trying to scat sing a John Mellencamp song <laughs> right now. <Yeah. laughs> When I hear the title Ford versus Ferrari, what do I want it to be? A divorce drama. Well, it is where Ferrari gets the kids. (laughs) Uh, It is also called Le Mans 66 in European countries. Le Mans 66? Yes. (laughs) You fake a European accent all the time and you can't say Le Mans, right? (laughs) Wow. Yeah, right. No, you should be ashamed. You should be ashamed. You should be de invited from Monte Carlo if you were ever invited there in the first place. I always go to Monte Carlo with my friend Selena Gomez. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a fine movie. <laughs> Tell me you've seen Monte Carlo, the movie. I have not. I haven't seen Leighton Meester, Selena. Selena yeah. Gomez. And, Monte and, Carlo. And, and she, Selena Gomez has a double. Based on fact, by the way. This is yes. all journalism. Yes. It, it, it's just a caper. It's a good movie. Okay, I'll watch it. This is like the la- last moment before Selena Gomez came who we know now her as. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, so you're excited to see it. I'm very excited to see Ford vs. Ferrari. And it's directed by James Mangold, mm-hmm. who I love. Mm-hmm. 310 to Yuma. I'm actually a little bit excited to see The Irishman, actually. And yeah. Honey Boy. I hear it's really good. I heard it's amazing. I heard mm-hmm. he could get double Oscars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, get that. Get that, Shia. <laughs> yeah. 
You know what? He was really good in Disturbia. I'll say it. That movie is like Hitchcock on Poppers and Speed. And I believe the bad guy in that movie, it turns out he has alligators in his home or something like that. But um, I did enjoy it at the time. He always does what he has to do. I mean, he was giving you 70s paranoid thriller sexiness in Eagle Eagle Eye. Eye. I knew you were going there. Yep. Mm -hmm. He did a good job. Sorry, I stand Eagle Eye. He's still living down that we put him on that one magazine cover and said the next Tom Hanks. Like, I feel like he still, no matter what he does, has to live up to that weird thing that took hold that would be impossible for anybody to live up to, let alone a true weirdo like Shia LaBeouf. Here's a keep it for... For for Lewis, go on. Uh, for your favorite show, Jeopardy. Oh yeah. Did you see that clip this week where none of the contestants on Jeopardy knew who the fuck Tom Hanks was? What? Mm-hmm. It was who's this beloved actor who's playing Mister Rogers in a movie, and it showed a clip of him in the movie. Was it a middle school and episode? No, <laughs> no. They're all adults, and none of these nerds knew who Tom Hanks was. I have no answer to that. I mean, it looks like Tom Hanks. He's yes. talking like Tom Hanks in the Mister Rogers movie. Yeah. Oh my God! Learning all that—it's a grim useless, day in the neighborhood. Learning all that useless trivia, and you don't know who Tom Hanks is. Right. Watch a movie. <laughs> Start with Punchline. Yeah. Joe versus the volcano. The hits. Dragnet. Come on. Yeah. And then you know, work your way through like Bachelor Party. Oh yeah, Money Pit. Come on. Yeah. The Terminal. Mm. <laughs> the Terminal. Yeah. I mean, Catherine Zeta-Jones is just. In an airport is is really just the height of glamour to me. It should have been called Catherine Zeta-Jones in an airport. I would have seen it. Yeah. Anyway, that's our show. <laughs> Hope you like all that informational talk we just uh, had. Tom Hanks, destroy me, King. Big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks could rail me to death. Oh, my God. Stop it. What? Oh, you're referencing that SNL sketch. From of course I am. Yeah. But also telling the truth. Okay. All right. Well, that's we'll work that out with Rita Wilson later. Yeah. She wouldn't mind. You think so? Yeah. Turns the other way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, thanks again to JoJo for being here. And uh, we'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess. The one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.